Hawkinson in space now. Far elbow, cross for CJ! Meditate on that, Nashville! It is international break, but we aren't taking one. Credit to iHeartRadio for my goal of the year as we're getting into mid-season superlatives. That was CJ Sapong's insurance goal against Real Salt Lake to seal Nashville SC's first ever win at Geodis Park. The music on this show, of course, always courtesy of the great Moon Taxi. And this show, courtesy of two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines, this is Club and Country. And I'm Nashville SC radio broadcaster Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. We are back during the international break as Nashville sits in sixth place with 20 matches to go. 13 of them are going to be at home, including Saturday's showdown with the San Jose Earthquakes. And as the U.S. men's national team fills our soccer cravings until the weekend, we're taking a step back to evaluate what's transpired on the pitch for NSC so far this season. And Nashville SC currently sits in sixth place in the East, but for some of the reasons that you just mentioned, 13 home games coming up, uh, there's a reason to believe in the upside of this team and, and to believe that maybe sixth place is not necessarily a floor, but it's definitely closer to that than the ceiling. It had better be close to a floor, for sure, for, for <laughs> Nashville fans. I think I'm just not guaranteeing it. I don't want to jinx anything. No, and, and I that's feel the like thing. it's a floor, but <laughs> you, you, based on what Nashville's done at home historically, you feel like mm-hmm. you can project some strong points at the end of the year, but. We should know by now also that you can never take a single home match for granted, including well, based on the most recent one that Nashville had, uh, Atlanta United, where you thought you had three and then and then didn't. Um, so in the early shout today, in our Gold Nuggets, we're going to compare Nashville's first 14 games this year to what they did last and even back in 2020 in some cases. And then we'll evaluate the season so far with some midseason awards for uh, you old-timers. There's going to be a Rapapa Mensa reference at one point, so <laughs> hang on for that. Maybe even a Brandon Allen yeah, there's a name you hadn't thought of in a couple of years, and when you have it, maybe hadn't been fondly. And then we'll get into San Jose and get ready for the earthquakes as Nashville SC, one of the few MLS teams playing this weekend. There are just a few matches as most teams get the extra week off during international break. Into the mailbag and some summer transfer conversation. What needs to happen with Nashville SC to put its roster in a place where it is ready to compete for silverware uh, and a couple of loan moves that we have not discussed that we will get into, one of which was announced um, just a couple of days ago at recording time. We'll go outside in and get into the U.S. men's national team, which has played a couple of games since we last chatted with you. But first, Tim Club and Country, as always, sponsored by ML Rose. Yeah, and it's, uh, we talk about it every single week, but ML Rose has, has been so good to us as, as a sponsor, and, and fortunately, they have been so good to us as a restaurant over the years as well, and a, and a place to grab a couple beers. Um, you and I have, have talked to many of our listeners who have said, oh yeah, I didn't really know a whole lot about ML Rose, but you guys brought it to my attention, and, and now I'm a, a big fan, and I go there all the time. Um, shout out to to the club and country photographer, Mike Meredith, who, who sent me a text message of his burger just a few days ago. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very happy to hear that you guys are, are enjoying it. I believe his family had gone to the zoo and he was on his way back mm-hmm. from the zoo, right? Drop by. Got that's, a that's, like, that's, like, well. that's like epic Tim right there. Yeah, let's go to the zoo and then go to ML Road. And then while we're at it, we'll go drive by the soccer stadium, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's all in that area of town, right? The 8th Avenue location is so convenient um, to everywhere except for my house. <laughs> kind of hard. To, it's like from West Nashville, it's a bit awkward. But if, of course, going to the stadium, it's right there, and it's really not that bad. Off Wedgwood, uh, and just a couple minutes away. But but it's in the heart of of so many awesome things that are happening in that great neighborhood in South Nashville. And one thing we haven't really talked about a lot, we've talked about the atmosphere there, the draft list, and all that. It's also really good takeout. 
if you just need to go take something home after work to the family uh, or back from a game, you don't really have time to sit and enjoy. Uh, you know, some of those restaurants, you, you can have an A experience and then you get home with food and it's like a C and the cheese is congealed. And, the, you know, not, not the case with ML Rose. They put they package it well. It's always fresh when you pick it up. It's easy. Just go to the bar, pick it up. I've done that for a couple of, of, home, of away soccer matches. I pick up the food and then take it to Jonas Park to go to our studio there. And Tim, it, it's really good that there's not drop off from the fresh version you're going to get in person and the to go version you take home. Yeah, and when you go to, to pick up your to, to go food, the uh, the bar staff does not look lo- at you like you grew antlers. They know exactly what's going on. Well, there's a lot of places that's not necessarily the case, so we'll see. And you know, um, the closest that dads get to spa time, unless you like the spa, which is cool, <laughs> not judging that, is to call in the to go order, leave immediately to go pick it up, even if it's not going to be ready for 15 or 20 minutes. Sit at the bar, have a beer while you wait. They'll add that to your tab, no problem. That's been my move after a couple you, of matches. You have too. truly engaged dad mode. <laughs> That's it. It is fully unlocked, A+. That's like third-tier dad mode. You know, you go, you wait for the food. Now, you don't want to have two beers. You want the food to still be fresh for the, you know, for the spouse or the, or the you know, you single other kids. But, well, I mean, <laughs> in my case, at least. I'll, I'll have like one good light beer that I can drive on right away afterward with no problems and get the food home nice and fresh. ML Rose, the spot to go for Nashville SC fans, for club and country listeners. Uh, it is awesome. Eighth Avenue and watch parties still for every road match as well. All right, let's head to our early shout. Marching back in is Leal. Cross, back post. Good eye scores! New conference. Same Nashville. And there's Tim's goal of the year, courtesy of iHeartRadio, way back to February. Anibal Godoy's winner in Seattle to give Nashville SC its first victory of the year. Tim, time for some mid-season superlatives. We'll talk about a couple of special moments, some special players. But first, some gold nuggets. With a bit of perspective about Nashville SC's performance so far this year, we're going really simple here and going quantitative for points, for scoring, and for defense, but then we'll get into some qualitative arguments and grade each of those areas. And so first, we'll talk about points. Comparing this year to the past couple, Nashville actually tracking just slightly below the point total they had last year. But of course, with the qualifier, last year they played 71% of their matches at home. In those first 14, this year, 71% of them away from home and still just one less point this year than they had last. And sixth in the table at this point in the season 10. What's your grade for where Nashville stands in the table to this point? For me, it's an A minus. The only issue that I would really point to is, is giving up those two points from a winning position against Atlanta, as you alluded to a little while ago there. And, and then maybe some of the more minor things like drawing at San Jose kind of during the, the very depths of the Quakes struggle. And obviously we're going to be talking about the Quakes again in a second. And they are no longer in those depths. But at that time, it was definitely not the result that you want even on the road. Yeah, I'll give it a B plus. Similar reasons for you. I think the season opening road trip has to be an A, right? Even with a couple mm-hmm. of down performances, Nashville set a record for an extended road trip yeah. points per game on that. So that's an A, and I don't think you can give it anything else. Since then, deduction for Houston on the road. Mm-hmm. I know there are extenuating factors and rotation and all that, but that was just a pretty listless performance. San Jose, I agree with you. I think you know, even in the midst of that road trip is one you need to take three points where San Jose was at that point. And Atlanta mm-hmm. at home a bright performance that deserved better. So yeah. with those three, they add up to, to dropping just a half a letter grade to a B plus. But when you look at how the team is positioned with the schedule ahead, it can and should play its way to an A grade in the top four spot that, that comes with that, I think for sure. Yeah. And I think the fact that they're so close to an A grade is, is 
probably more encouraging than discouraging at this point too. Which, you know, in Canada, an A grade is actually when you get an E and you get oh, an H. I knew it was coming. I, knew it was coming. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Oh man. All right. Scoring. Uh, so Nashville's attack this year has put together a little less punch than it did this time last 18 goals on 19 XG this year. Last year, they had 24 XG at this point and 21 goals, way better than 2020, where they'd scored just 11 goals in their first 14. So, you know, it's a team that's been a little bit more open at times and a little <laughs> bit more vulnerable in defense as a result. And yet the, the goal tally, again, with a lot of those matches on the road, not quite where it was last year. So how do you grade Nashville's attack? It's a B minus for me. And it's for the same reasons that you just mentioned and for the same reasons that we talked about when it comes to the position in the table. It's hard to get upset about what a team is doing when they're playing pretty well and doing most of it on the road. Uh, when you look at what has happened so far this year, according to American soccer analysis and my ability to, to work in Excel spreadsheet, the average road team is, is getting 1.20 expected goals per game. And Nashville's getting 1.39 on the road. And um, when you look at what they've done at home, they're getting 1.72 expected goals at home. And then league average is 1.59. So they're above the league averages in both of those cases. Um, as you mentioned, 18 goals on those 19 expected goals is slightly below, uh, you know, average conversion rates, but that's something that, um, I haven't dug into it that deeply, but I think conversion rates are a little bit worse on the road as well. So mm -hmm. when you look at what they've done so far and then see, seeing some of the things that would lead to a more open attack, less fear of conceding and the ability to play an exciting but uh, ball insecure attacker, um, not naming any names there, but <laughs> those are the sorts of things that you might expect to see a little bit more of at home and, and it can really wake up a little bit here. Yeah, I'd be really interesting, interested to know what the Aki Loba story was if Nashville had played its first mm -hmm. you know several games at home instead of I, you know I hadn't even really thought about about how backloaded they were with away games last year but he's he's not had like a normal home schedule it's been no. it's been backloaded last year and then frontloaded this year all on the road so it'll be interesting to see actually yeah I mean if you're outperforming averages and chance creation you expect eventual progression to the mean if you keep up that pace of course mm -hmm. of chance creation uh, I'll give it a B because it's a little higher than yours because they're outperforming those road averages, as you mentioned, but I think also because of what's happened recently and who they haven't had. So yeah. CJ and Hani starting to round into form, I think takes it from a B minus to a B when you see the promise they've shown, when you see what they've done against Atlanta, uh, against uh, Louisville and Hani's case, and, and of course uh, against Colorado. And I think the fact that they've not had the guy they thought would be the first striker off the bench for basically the whole year in Teal Bunbury, and they've still been able to to be decent and decent on the road, especially. And then, of course, Randall Leal being gone yeah, for the past month I hadn't month even thought so. about that. That's, that's a pretty big deal. Maybe, I'll, go, maybe I'll join you at B. <laughs> they've missed him, but I think yeah. they've still been able to compensate. Mm -hmm. So I, I give it a B with those qualifiers. And now you join me. I, I convinced you to come to my side for yes. once. All right. Yeah, look at I'll us. We it. embrace consensus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> not for the first time and not for the last. Uh, defensively, 16 goals allowed this year so far. Same total as last year. They'd allowed just 14 in 2020 through 14 games. With that in mind, you're great for Nashville's defense. It's a B minus. Again, I'm, I'm willing to, to maybe be incremented upwards rather than downwards. But I think there's there's been an active choice to be proactive in terms of you know dictating the game with the attack. Uh, that's come at the expense of some chances in the back. And it makes sense with the personnel that Nashville has, the goalkeeping and, and the obviously the two-time defending uh, defender of the year. You expect those guys to clean up some messes and you're willing to let those, those messes exist in the first place a little bit more. So 
you want to see this team clean up the set piece struggles. And they've mostly done that to this point in the year. And I think, you know, if, if you were grading over the course of the entire year without a sense of the trajectory of how it's looking a bit better, especially on set pieces, it might be a little bit different in terms of a grade. But at this point, I think you see the progress and that, and that takes me to a B minus. I'll, I'll take you down to a C plus here. I'll be the, I'll, I'll embrace debate just for a moment there. I think because things have been, um, by the way, debate half a letter grade. I don't know if that's really embracing debate, <laughs> um, but but anyway, we're going at each other's throats over it. Yeah, I, I just I think that that based on what Nashville has shown, the fact that they haven't been able to capitalize on being more open, mm-hmm. and yet they've still conceded at the same rate as last year, and the set piece struggles you you reference, which we may reference again here in just a moment. Uh, I, I give it a C plus. I think it is below this club standards, especially with yeah. the star power it has back there. I also think that the club might give itself a similar grade in that regard and and believes as I do that this will improve with the weighted home schedule and that you know if you're going to give up a, a goal here and there it better be in a 3-1 type of uh type of game in Colorado you know those types of situations so C plus for me but I think I see upward mobility here and mm-hmm. and I think if, if Nashville finishes the year with a B plus defensively with a yeah. B plus in the attack uh it's going to be in the top four uh, with with an A overall I do see some of the concessions as kind of variants striking its ugly head. We are still in the low sample size land. Yep. So, yep. but I do, I do believe that, uh, you know, Gary Smith is, is not necessarily a statistician, and, but he does understand the variance, but I think he would still be upset with every goal given up, no matter how fluky. So <laughs> I, I think yeah, you're probably right in that. He feels more similarly to you than to me. All right. So back in 2018, real Papa Mensa lit first Tennessee park on fire with a winner in stoppage time against North Carolina FC. It was Nashville's first ever stoppage time winner. Of course, that was in USL play. And so as we start our midseason superlatives, we're going to name the real Papa Mensa result of the season. So he earned that result for Nashville SC. Uh, Ropapa, I believe, is playing back in Ghana now. I think he's out of USL and back in his homeland, I believe. I did a, a, I was going down a rabbit hole recently. Check. Did a, did a where are they now check. I think that's where he is, but I, I might be wrong. Uh, as Tim checks on that, the result yeah. of the season, named after Ropapa Mensa. So far this year, what's your uh, your best three points or best point for Nashville SC? For me, it's it's still the opener against Seattle. And I know that the value of that point or that result looks like it has diminished a bit because Seattle has not been very good. They've had a poor first, you know, 40%-ish of the season. But it's going to be big come decision day. I have faith that Seattle is going to round into a playoff team for sure. I think that there's a good chance that they're hosting a playoff game and to get a result at their house in the opener, especially when you look at what Seattle has been over the years, it means more than the quality of the team has been so far this season. And I think that Nashville saw it the same way then, and they probably still see it the same way now, even though Seattle has not been as good as we'd expect. Oh, yeah. I don't care about any of those those qualifiers. You beat Seattle on the road. I don't care what the what the reasoning is. If it's eleven on seven because they got four red cards, doesn't matter. That's a big win. That's Pumas a good couldn't win. do it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wasn't even trying to reference them, but that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it was a statement. It was symbolic. A, a mm-hmm. huge statement, as you mentioned, a narrative changer for me. I'll say Colorado away, not because I'm falling victim to recency bias, but because it really was that exclamation point. I think on the first kind of the first half of the season, I know it was just 14 yeah. games in, but with the break coming, it's an exclamation point that you get to really think about and build that confidence while you're sitting for a couple of weeks. A uh, it was a disruption too of Colorado's league leading and borderline historic home regular season unbeaten streak, which stood at what 23, I believe, when mm-hmm. when Nashville SC ended that. So it's something 
you know, you can't, it's hard to accomplish. Nashville had never won at altitude in limited chances. Uh, maybe, maybe just the moment that Hani Mukhtar took off. I know he had a brace in San Jose, but and he'd been playing pretty well, but he really, really did uh, just start soaring there with the brace on the road. And of course, the the symbolic meaning of Steve Guppy, Matt Pickens, Kosuke Kimura, and one Gary Smith winning uh, back at their former stomping grounds that they felt, uh, at least some of them, left unceremoniously. Uh, I think that's the result of the season so far for me. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that uh, the the opener against Seattle was kind of beating the idea of a great team, whereas beating Colorado on the road is actually <laughs> what beating a great team is. So from a from that perspective, yours might actually be a little bit more valid. But I, again, I think Seattle's going to be good by the end of the year. So. You had already typed Seattle, or I might have typed that one. In, quite honestly, <laughs> I think they're I think they're the top two results yeah. of the year in whatever yeah. order you want to put them. Uh, the Brandon Allen disappointment of the year. This can go to a moment. It can be a stat. It can be an individual uh, who needs to step their game up. And Brandon Allen, by the way, somebody who was brought in. Uh, Nashville hoped he'd be a thriller there in that uh, first year of USL and ended up not quite materializing like uh, like Nashville had hoped. A couple PKs, a couple poacher goals, but not a lot. So we'll, we'll say that he's the, the namesake, with all due respect to Brandon, of the Disappointment of the Year Award. For me, it's Ake Loba. Um, I know that we've kind of said, okay, be patient, be patient, be patient, but you can, you can continue being patient for a guy who might come around and be disappointed with what he's put out so far. Um, the David Goss theorem is hurting right now, saying you know guys need a year in, in MLS because it's just such a different league than you see around the world to really start being effective. And, and so far, um, Loba's been around for about that long and hasn't really taken off in his second year, of course. Um, I hadn't thought about it until we mentioned it earlier in the pod that he's that he has played 71% of his games away from home at this mm-hmm. point because 71% last year and 71% this year through 14. So it's something that is is going to take uh, maybe a little bit more time to to wash away the sense of disappointment. But if it doesn't happen, then uh, he he might be repeating at my my disappointment of the year at the end of the season as well. We've talked through similar scenarios before, but here's what I want for him this weekend: I want a multi-goal lead for Nashville, Ake to get in sometime late and get a penalty kick opportunity just to put the ball in the back of the net in MLS play in front of the home fans. So Hani would have to be Alex Muil, Alex Muil really uh, taking that penalty that he had last year that, that Muil had earned to be yeah. there and saying yeah. it's mine. It's mine. Ake. I really could have gotten Ake going. We'll see. We'll see. It's against it's DC a, real, uh, a real sliding doors moment. Do you remember that movie sliding? Doors? I never saw it, but I know the concept. I, yeah. I was familiar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. One, one moment Butterfly changing the course of thing. the future. Yeah. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Taylor. Wa- oh, my. Oh, I, forgot, I almost went to the next award, which you can hear is Taylor Washington. My disappointment of the year, not an individual in my case. It's that Nashville's allowed six set piece goals so far. Uh, it was a talking point last year. They allowed 10 all season last year, mm-hmm. uh, already more than halfway to that mark. Um, some of these are flukes, you know, but at some point you have to assign statistical meaning when yeah. the fi- the problem's not fixed. And if there is a regular opportunity for a fluke to end up in the back of the net, there's the, the individual flukes uh, are less meaningful <laughs> than the, the opportunity for the flukes to occur. <laughs> Large sample size podcast. You heard yeah. it here. It's so, so <laughs> growing and it's still happening. Uh, again, something that Nashville has the talent to correct, and, and we'll see at home if that if that starts to um, to regulate a little bit. Nashville's still not at the top of the league, by the way, in that stat, but still below its own standards. Okay, the Taylor Washington emerging hero. Taylor, a, a, a workhorse, bit of a, of a young-ish journeyman in USL who, of course, played his way onto the MLS roster and has been a good contributor. So he's the namesake of our emerging hero award who has stepped out of nowhere or at least stepped up for the boys in gold in your eyes. For me, it's, it's, I, I don't even know if it's fair to say a former number two overall draft pick is this, but for me, it is Jack Mayer. He's a guy who 
went on loan in his first couple of years and, and came back to Nashville both years. And he uh, didn't even need to go out on loan this year. And instead of kind of battling to get those backup minutes for Dave Romney and, and Walker Zimmerman, he kind of stepped up and said, the, the formation needs a change to get me on the field more often. And that's obviously not the only reason that Nashville has gone with three center backs. But it's definitely a reason that they are comfortable going with three center backs as much as Gary Smith might like. And he's he's written his name in ink on the starting lineup whenever he's available. And I think that that's something that even at this at this stage for a guy of his of his pedigree coming out of the University of Indiana, uh, Indiana University. I know they say IU, but I think it's University of Indiana. I don't know. It's coming out of IU. Coming out of IU. He's a guy. He's a guy who he's a guy who you, you know, you expect him to be successful, but I think. For a center back as young as he is, he's still exceeding my expectations. It's actually the the Big Twelve schools that reverse it. So CU. Is yeah, actually I knew Nebraska, Nebraska does because they're Oklahoma. I think yeah. may as well. Yeah, but but Indiana University is is the correct term. As I'm schooling the Big Ten guy on on a Big Ten school <laughs> name. Uh, I, I think my listen, listen, man. I'm a, I'm a football guy. We don't really pay a whole lot of attention. To that. That's true. Indiana not exactly leading the headlines <laughs> out there in Big Ten football. Uh, so. My the answer I wanted to give here doesn't qualify. I was going to say Sean Davis because he's unheralded. I almost, out there. I almost said him too. So take it away. Wes. There you go. He's unheralded out there. But anytime you've led Major League Soccer in a category before you come in to your new destination, you're not really emerging. I don't know. I think maybe for some, he, if it were underrated Player of the Year, he's it for me because I don't think he's heralded for what he does. But that's his job, right? Um, I'll say Elliot Panico. Uh, and it's recent, of course, but but you know, earning a couple of wins coming in, one of them against the USL team, of course, in US Open Cup, filling in for Joe Willis for the first time in an MLS match, for the first time ever in any competition yeah. for for the boys in gold. You know, I, I we talked last week about how the job's still Joe's. Um, this was very much a, a, a siesta, if you will, for Willis, not a not a permanent sleep, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think Panico is showing that he can potentially be a guy you can rely on either in cup play to give Willis a break or whenever you need to, or heaven forbid if Willis has a health issue, that's huge. That's something this club yeah. has literally never had an MLS play, and they haven't needed it before. To be fair, Joe is Joe is obviously an Iron Man, but I was not expecting when Panico came and, and played the the Open Cup match. I was like, okay, he got his he got his moment. I was not expecting. Not only a, an MLS game without Joe Willis between the pipes, but an outstanding performance from Panico as well, and it's a sign of his development as well. Shout out to uh, Elliot's mom, Julie, a very active uh, Twitter follower and engager uh, of, of everyone really who covers this club. Uh, the second half X Factor now, no namesake here, because whoever is the X Factor might be able to write their name on this award at the end of the season. So who, who or what is the X Factor for Nashville SC to have the kind of success it wants to have and potentially compete for silverware. It, it, it can be the X factor after, after July and it can be the, the novel coronavirus X factor here. No, um, the, my, mine is going to be a, a summer window window signing because there are a couple spots. And obviously we talk about one of them pretty regularly that Nashville could upgrade. And that spot would be right back. If, if we think that Nashville signs a right back and gets an upgrade there, that would be huge because that has been a spot where either Alex Mule out of position uh, Eric Miller kind of out of position as well. Nashville's gotten good production from there, but there's more. You can get more out of that spot. And I think if Nashville does end up with a right back signing, they can really add to their ceiling here. And and if they add at a different position, whether it's a, a different striker, if Ake Loba doesn't emerge or if Teal Bunbury doesn't emerge, Nashville can add talent to this team and and really take another level. And so I think it's it's going to come in the form of adding another player. 
Sure, and I, I'll I'll kind of have a one B answer, I guess, to yours, which for me is the emergence of a backup striker, mm-hmm. whether or not they're coming in or whether or not they're already on the roster. Maybe Teal Bunbury comes in and is healthy and takes off. Maybe Ake Loba, you know, is lifted by the home crowd. Maybe Ethan Zubak has a couple another couple of moments like he did in U.S. Open Cup. Somebody needs to step up because CJ. Honestly, he's, it looks like for the first time in his career, he might have double-digit goals in consecutive seasons. That's great, but you need to be able to rely on somebody else in the waning moments of matches, uh, or you're going to wear yourself out. Especially yeah. if you continue in cup play and have to rotate, uh, you need a backup striker. And if Nashville can have one emerge, it's going to go from a great team to a title-contending team. If not, it might be hard to make that jump. Uh, let's look at San Jose quickly. Uh, the earthquakes come to Nashville. Game time moved back, by the way, to 7 p.m. Kind of a late uh, late announcement there. So be sure uh, that you get to ML Rose about the time that you normally would and spend just a couple extra hours there uh, before heading to the, the tailgate and to the match. Uh, San Jose, of course, is no stranger to Nashville. They met for the first time ever earlier this year, a 2-2 draw. Honey Mukhtar with a brace. Jeremy Obobese with a brace of his own. Tim, I think that at the time was a fair result if you looked at the underlying numbers, although Nashville had some chances chances to make it a 3-2 win. It was a disappointing result, though, against the San Jose yeah. team that was winless at the time. Yeah, and the second goal, I believe it was, that was the free kick, was just an incredible, like, also annoying moment for Nashville C fans who could just feel it coming as well. Yeah, um, th- That was a game that, um, when you look at where San Jose was at that time, uh, where they are now is, is slightly different, but where they were at the time, it was just such a frustrating result, and, and the way it came about was frustrating, too. Since playing Nashville, San Jose's gotten better. They fired their manager, uh, and maybe it's a new manager bump. Maybe it's the fact that they've mm-hmm. more more realistically gone away from just a total dedication to the man-marking scheme that kept getting them burned. They're 3-2-2 two, and two since then. That's 11 points in league play since playing NSC. Uh, the exact same number of matches they played uh, as they had played before playing Nashville or just three points in those first sessions. So <laughs> a lot better. Uh, Tim, I, I alluded to it maybe in my in my lead in there but what's changed yeah a big part of it i think is that new manager bump um you see teams for the most part kind of stick pretty close to their expected goals for and against numbers when you look at how the results kind of average out over the course of the season but when a manager is uh, not particularly cared for by his team members i think you're more likely to see a team that underachieves its expected goals and uh, that has changed. And now San Jose has always had okay underlying numbers. And now they're kind of getting a little bit closer to them. But, um, you know, I also think that some of it is, is a simple matter of, of they're, they're playing a slightly easier schedule lately. Seattle at home, Colorado um, obviously has been a very good team at in, in Denver, but um, away they're not as good. Portland at home, SKC at home. That's not, that's not a murderer's row. They've played Vancouver away as well. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, yes, they are playing better, but some of it is just kind of who they're playing to. They are still winless in six road matches. Only one draw, five losses. Uh, so one of the worst road teams in the league. They've given up multiple goals in every road match, but one. In fact, they're conceding nearly three times per road contest. Only Kansas City has given up more goals away from home, Tim. Yeah, and this is a, a team that not only are they are they performing poorly when it look, comes to the, uh, you know, the the. Uh, average goals it's the average expected goals are, are looking pretty uh, below below average I guess you could say as well this is a team whose defense just absolutely struggles on the road um, you know giving up uh, 2.86 expected goals in any game is very bad um, they came very close to that not only against Philly but also against New York City FC um, both of those were shutout losses for San Jose so it's not like they were playing a wide open game to make it happen so it's it's a team that that really is is kind of figuring out how to play on the road and um, so far, not doing a great job. 
Nashville's attacker is going to be licking their chops, but on the other end, the defense had better be ready because Jeremy Obobese, the striker for this team, on a tear. His nine goals, lead MLS. He scored twice against NSC, as we referenced a minute ago. What makes him so good? Is is it just that it's a wide-open attack and he's at the right place at the right time to finish off those, those wild crosses and plays in? Or does he deserve credit for generating a lot of that himself? Yeah, they do have some nice attacking pieces. And I, I have to say, I am a one Jeremy Obobese fan. I love the guy. Um, the system was kind of supposed to create a lot of easy opportunities for these guys under Matias Almeida. It was not. And I think the fact that they've simplified things and gone with the system that Jeremy Obobese fits directly in. So yes, he deserves credit for it um, because he has the skills to fit directly in the system, but the system is around him. There's, I think it's kind of the best of both worlds coming together. There's a confluence of, of you know, kind of the perfect individual to step up and, and take advantage of the perfect circumstances around him. Was that great man theory in, in like mm-hmm. history, history mm-hmm. studies? Yeah. It's kind of his, uh, his situation has, has worked out perfectly for what he's able to bring. A great man who is going on a hero journey, big literature term there, and yet yeah, most of his that, team... Now that one I know. I got, I got my literature stuff yeah, down. Good. But most of his team has not joined him on that odyssey. They, <laughs> they've been left behind. Uh, all right, so... Turned into sheep and eaten by a cyclops? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or turned to stone, you know, if they run into Medusa. I don't know. Was that, was Medusa wasn't the odyssey was. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm mixing Hercules? all of my myths He's now. a Gorgon. Yeah, I'll tell you go. one thing that is... <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that is not a myth that is stone cold reality. And that is that ML Rose has one of the best beer selections in Nashville. Tim, what is, what's your go-to beer that you like to drink when we're, when you're at ML Rose, is there one that's either local or uh, maybe a, you know, another craft beer that, that you typically will show up and ask for you, Wes, you know me well enough. I have a different thing. Every single time I walk into the same place, even if I'm, I'm sitting there for like an hour I'm having a, a bunch of different stuff. I'm never having the same one twice. And that's one of the things that I really like about ML Rose is because they have a lot of options. I can walk, I can walk in there and say, oh, what am I feeling right now? And then if I'm not feeling it, I can have something completely different or I can have like two or three other different choices within that kind of genre of beer. So it's uh, perfect for me because they always have such a, a broad range of choices. I too will definitely avoid giving a free shout to a brewery that does not sponsor us. <laughs> nice work. But what I love is that it's it's a good balance. I think that the proportion of any good beer list needs to be at least a third local, at least two thirds craft, and the rest of it, whatever. It can be local, it can be wherever, it can be generic, it can be, you know, for those who like the beers that taste like water, you need to have a little bit of that available mm-hmm. too. Rose easily fits that ratio with an emphasis on the local and the craft. I would say far more than 80%, maybe more like 95% of their beer is is mm-hmm. the excellent stuff that you, you love to learn about. And the bartenders are schooled in it and will give you opinions, whether it's, I love that one, I don't, this one's popular, this one's not. They're not just trying to sell you on something that maybe they're getting a bonus for, you know, or if they are, they're good at hiding it. Uh, <laughs> I think the variety is something I go for as well. I, I don't really have a lot of favorite beers. Every oh. beer is my favorite. I love them all. I'm very inclusive, um, except for sours. I hate sours. I just can't. I can't do sours. I know. I like they're a sour man. They're an abomination. Uh, but but they ha- But if you like sours, Imoros yeah. has those too. Yeah, they, they so have a lot of them. That's it. Day, I think the rotating draft list and you know, the fact that they keep it fresh, but then they still keep the classics there. Uh, and one and one thing I will say specifically about Imoros, which is not the case for every place in Nashville. Hey, all, all other places in Nashville, listen up. Every single beer except for like two does not need to be a double IPA. Yeah, no, I agree. ML Rose has like a very nice balance of of different varieties. Completely agree. And I love a good double IPA, but I also have a two-year-old child. They're fine. (laughs) Double IPAs when you have a kid at home are tough to 
tough to, to, to add up, uh, certainly. Uh, ML Rose, visit their 8th Avenue location, watch parties for every road match. Great place pregame and postgame for, for home contests. We hope you will check them out. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Um, let's head to the mailbag now. We've talked about midseason expectations and the big picture. Chris Hole just added one to our feed here, uh, so I'll throw it at you. National media have included that Nashville SC during conversations about potential MLS Shield winners. Now that we're a third of the way, a little more than a third of the way through the season, is that inclusion still reasonable? Yeah, I would say it definitely is. This is a, a team that we just talked about being in sixth place in the Western Conference right now with uh, leaving a little bit of meat on the bone, but having a lot of reason to expect that they are going to have a better second, you know, 60% of the season than the first 40% of the season. So I think it's fair. Um, it's obviously a high bar to clear, but it's it's one that this club is going to be aiming for, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it should absolutely be a goal. And it's going to be hard to balance that goal with winning U.S. Open Cup. So mm-hmm. there may be a sacrifice that takes you back to top four, which... Again, a home playoff match, just like last year, is a victory. It is huge, especially if you can avoid the weird tiebreaker scenarios and uh, and finish second and get a couple of home playoff matches out of that. I agree. I think it's absolutely a reasonable expectation that this club should shoot for. I don't think the season's a disappointment if they don't get there. Uh, but I think top four is, is still your real aspiration here. Uh, Cody Holland, welcome. First question, I believe, to our mailbag. Says, still new to following soccer. Is it more difficult for the guys playing during international break due to wear and tear on the body? Shout out to Walker, Zimmerman, and to an extent, Anibal Godoy, um, who had a couple of uh, light matches, including one non-existent one in Canada. That's a long story. Or is it harder for the ones having to ramp up and downshift during the breaks, Tim? It depends on the player. Uh, every player has individual needs when their team is on a break. Uh, and sometimes the international window is good for the guys who need a little bit of rest, heavily used and, and particularly older guys. Um, I, I think Anibal is probably happy to not have had to play Canada. He's giving them a little bit of rest. Other guys might just prefer to play through it. Um, the team trains during the break, so they're not completely out of action. But um, the games are are just one factor. And Nashville SC's medical staff um, uses all their, you know, their VO2 max calculators and the, and all the uh, data that they get from the from the trackers that they do use in practice, in addition to using them in games and designs plans to kind of maximize what guys need out of the break. So it really is uh, dependent player to player and, and it varies. Another question about expectations. Logan Elliott, we seem to be entering the point in the season where Nashville could potentially make up a lot of ground with the next six league games against teams below the playoff line. Great note, Logan. Hadn't I didn't caught even that. notice that, man. That's it's really uh, good. That's a lot, yeah. Uh, how many? Hey, Logan likes Tennessee. He likes Arsenal. He likes Nashville SC. Logan. Uh, hey, one he, out of three ain't bad. One out of three ain't bad. <laughs> and he likes making fun of losers. Um, we need to grab a beer. Two out Logan. of four ain't bad. We need to grab a beer and we need to, to embrace our. Uh, our similarities, but also our sense of fatalism that the teams we love are always good, but never quite good enough to, to win it all, except for maybe this year. We'll see. Uh, anyway, Logan, the next six league games facing teams below the playoff line, how many points do you think Nashville needs? They want to be on track to finish in a home playoff spot in the West. Um, you know, it, it's hard for me at least to point to that immediate points goal yeah. at the end of the season to be in a top four spot, but I will look at, at the next ones and say, San Jose, you want three. Sporting KC, the way they played this year, three. you want three. DC United on the road. DC's not good. It is a road match. It's six days of rest. I'll save one there just because you're going to drop points in some of those sometimes. Portland at home, the way they've played, I think you you go for three. One is not a disaster there. Charlotte on the road, they're they're good. They're good in Charlotte. Um, I'll save one there. And Seattle at home, yeah, they're below the playoff line, but they're Seattle. You get a point at home against the Sounders. I think you're you're feeling okay there. So one, two. 
I'll say I'll say Portland is a three pointer. So five points. I'm adding on on the radio. This is great live radio. Six, <laughs> nine, Twelve points over six. Twelve points over six. Two points a game. And I think you're certainly in in a good place. And that's of course if you go unbeaten, which is hard to do in any six game stretch. But I think twelve and six is and, and you're feeling pretty good about where you're headed toward a top four spot. Yeah, the, the line right now for a home playoff match is one point seven one points per game, and Nashville SC is just two points below that. Um, Austin is the team that's currently in fourth right now, so. I think what you look at is wanting to, to set yourself up to have a bit of a margin for error going forward. Obviously, it would be great to win three game, or three points from each of those games and get 18 points, and you're at 2.0 points per game, and you're feeling really good on, on the season about where you stand. But realistically, I think averaging two points per game over that stretch. So going 3-0 and 3, I think, is, is probably better than, um, you know, than you actually need. It might not feel great if Nashville ends up drawing three of those games, but it's definitely something that sets you up to find success for the rest of the season. Charlie Pate, timely topic. Any news or rumors on the summer transfer front as the next transfer window set to open in July? Tim, uh, a couple notes here. First on a couple of loans away from Nashville SC. Jose Donaciano uh, is on a season-long loan now to Phoenix Rising as he is mm-hmm. now healthy. Good to see him getting some minutes elsewhere that he probably was not going to be able to earn this year in Nashville. Brian Meredith making the Panico swap as Panico comes to be Nashville's number two. Brian Meredith going to Indy 11 where Panico had been. Uh, he'll be the the presumably the starter, or at least a, a keeper there. Uh, Shaq Moore and Tenerife has been, of course, the, the topic of much discussion <laughs> yeah. at the right back role. Anything else? Anything on him or anybody else that you're hearing? Yeah, there are always going to be a few rumors here and there, but I think the big situation to watch is what happens with Shaq Moore. Um, he's kind of in a weird spot if Tenerife does end up winning their playoff uh, promotion spot. Um, he's he's maybe not quite at the level of La Liga if Tenerife goes up to that level. But if they lose, maybe he's a little bit too good for La Liga B. It seems unlikely to me that he sticks with Tenerife either way. So he should be moving. It's a matter of where he moves. And if it's MLS, it will almost certainly be Nashville SC. Um, you know, they've, they've been working that relationship longer than anyone. They kind of have laid the groundwork to make that happen if and when it does. But it's a World Cup year. Does he want to stay in Europe? And, you know, is, is the championship a level where he's getting more games, he's getting more reps against higher caliber uh, players potentially? I don't know. So it's a matter of if he does want to stay in Europe or if he's willing to come home to MLS and, and if so, probably Nashville. That's the biggest one for me though, is, is what happens with Shaq Moore and does he end up wearing gold? Give me the MLS reps all day long. Uh, yeah. Of course. I, I, it makes the most sense to me. Yeah. One of my questions is the September friendlies are expected to take place in Europe. So there's like a situation where mm. is it harder to call up guys who are in MLS at that point, which is usually the opposite in, in the summer. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening there, but definitely it's, it's something. One guy who's going to be involved in the U.S. mix is Walker Zimmerman, of course. Uncle Matt asks, to what do we attribute Walker's improved range of passing? Yeah, I think some of it is not necessarily Walker Zimmerman changing that much, but the level of attention on him changing a little bit and people kind of realizing that he's a better passer than they had ever given him credit for, especially with the national team. I think for Nashville SC, yes, the style of play for Nashville has long been, let's let's bomb it over the top if, if we're getting a little bit too much pressure. And that style has changed to give him more time on the ball, more reps, passing it in ways other than bombing it long. But I think it's more about knowing his fit in the system and the confidence that the coach trusts him. And that this applies to Greg Berhalter as well. Remember, Walker wasn't uh, used during the September window and then was an injury replacement in the October window. 
So I think when people are paying a little bit more attention to him and he's realizing where um, his coaches kind of value him, which is something that maybe at least at the international level was not always the case, he's taken a step forward. John Mueller, what additional steps would you take, if any, to minimize or punish mass confrontations during a game? I think you got to be liberal with the yellow card, personally. And in MLS, <laughs> that, those are going to add up. Five yellow cards and you're suspended. And guys need to realize, you know, get get out of the referee's face, get out of each other's faces. Um, maybe it disincentivizes those just a little bit, but that's already a point of emphasis in the league yeah. this year and it hadn't necessarily always uh, worked. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal for me, honestly. I think the way it's handled now, obviously, last year's NYCFC confrontation with Nashville where Dax McCarty ends up getting the same uh, discipline as somebody who grabs him around the neck is is perhaps a little bit unfair, but that's a bit more of an execution rather than a, a policy difference. There haven't been that many incidents where I'm like legit fearful for the safety of the player or the integrity of the game. So I think what they're doing now is is adequate. It might not be ideal, but it's adequate. Better film review, more consistent implementation um, of, of consequences. But you could say that about any league. I think certainly uh, NHL's got, got a much bigger problem there than, than MLS does. Uh, Stooks, final question here. If you could choose a cocktail to be on tap at the backline tailgate, what cocktail would it be? We've already gone on record. That ML Rose at some point needs to put the club and country on its cocktail list. So um, I'll waive that one because there's no need to glorify us at the backline tailgate. So we'll branch out. All right. It needs to be gold, just like the folks at Geodas Park. Bittersweet, like some of the results have been at Geodas so far. It's <laughs> to start subtly, as Nashville sometimes does on the pitch, and end with a kick. Not literally like Nashville SC often does. Uh, you also need to leave wanting more of it. And it needs to blend local and international flavor. That would hit all the symbolic notes, I think. And it would hit some good taste notes as well. So lemon juice to make it uh, make it gold. A uh, little Tennessee honey, a little local honey to complement that. A little reposado tequila and then a gold beverage from Mexico. So you got the international flavor coming in. An orange wedge for those of us who love the uh, state of Tennessee's most popular team and university. Uh, <laughs> and a sugary rim. Just add a little sweetness and, and make you coming back for more. It's called the CJ Citrus Juice and Honey. CJ and Honey is what I'm calling the cocktail. And <laughs> if you so. guys make one of these, yeah. I will come have one with you <laughs> after the match. Uh, no comment on whether I've had the, the dark and stormy that Stukes asked about. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that Syracuse was so popular here in Tennessee, but that's okay. Come anyway. on with the UTA. <laughs> come on. Anyway, Wes, Wes, you are... We are going to have to embrace debate here. You are dead wrong because there is extreme need to glorify us at the at the backline tailgate. <laughs> it's just the club and country that we've previously uh, discussed for ML Rose. Uh, we'll send you the recipe. And uh, Stukes, if you want to make a big cooler of it, I'll come have a have a taste either uh, before a match I'm not calling um, or after a match that I am. Uh, it's necessary in both of those cases. Uh, all right, let's go outside in and talk U.S. men's national team pretty quickly here as uh, U.S. MNT beat Morocco 3-0. They drew with Uruguay, a scoreless draw in Kansas City. Um, and now they enter Nations League play. What stood out to you at those first two uh, matches of the four-match window? For me, they, they looked really good, and this wasn't a team that's at full strength. Weston McKinney was held to 20 minutes in the first game and half in the second game. Um, you're not seeing Matt Turner play both games as there are four over two weeks. So you, there was keeper rotation against Uruguay and Sean Johnson looked really good too. Uh, obviously we've talked about how we think he's underrated for NYCFC anyway, but the result on Sunday was maybe a little bit less exciting. And, and there was some lack of creation in the second half. Wasn't great. Uruguay was able to create some danger, but, but pasting Morocco, a very good Morocco team and hanging with Uruguay as both of the teams kind of did a little bit of rotating. It's something that you want to see. This is not the end 
of this of this journey here. This is a building point towards the World Cup in November, and it felt like a really good step in that direction. Next up, Grenada and El Salvador in Nations League. Tim, a lot of folks who are listening might be somewhat new to uh, some of these tournaments. We know mm-hmm. about the World Cup. We know about the, you know all all the you know Gold Cup and, and all that stuff, Euros, whatever. What's Nations League, and why is it important this cycle? How is Greg Berhalter going to approach it for the U.S.? Uh, so, how it's important this cycle is is probably especially for these next two games uh, for a chance for maybe some unheralded guys to get a few reps and maybe rest some of the top notch guys or give those guys reps together because um, this is just the first window of nation's league of it's a tournament that was created because UEFA teams, the teams in Europe um, started their own nation's league. And so there are fewer friendly dates with those guys available, but the teams in the top level of nation's league, there's promotion relegations. They're an a B and a C league. The teams in the top level are qualifying for the gold cup. Obviously the Americans want to do that. And then if you win the a bracket, as the United States did last summer, you are the nation's league champion. So for the most part, it's honestly for the smaller nations, but it is an opportunity for somebody like the United States, somebody like Canada, somebody like Mexico to get these meaningful reps in meaningful games and not just say, okay, we're playing friendlies against a team like Grenada. That's a, that's a team that we should and, uh, foreshadowing here will paste um, in this competition <laughs> but it does it does give you the opportunity to to help the the federations of those of those nations kind of develop their footballing and for the americans canadians mexicans it's a chance to to get game reps and, and get games that technically have some meaning even if this first round of them is going to be pretty easy. If I cheated and once again mentioned, you know, actual soccer as a content recommendation, it would be to watch those smaller nations play <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, absolutely. Play each other. They're on, they're on Paramount Plus. I'll, I'll give it as a half, half yep. content there you recommendation. Go. Before we get to those, just want to give a brief word of thanks to those who listened and responded last week to the, the weighty topic we discussed, gun violence. Nothing further to add on that this week. It was a, a hard and emotional conversation for both of us. Thank you to the U.S. men's national team yes. for, for making a statement about it at, at Sunday's game. And, and Greg Berhalter, um, you might not expect him to opine eloquently about it, but he did so after the game. Um, kind of seemed like the sort of thing that he would deflect attention away from as he wanted to talk about soccer. And it takes a lot of courage to do what he did. And, and thank, thanks to him for that as well. Doesn't have to be a partisan issue. Call your representatives, whatever you may believe politically, it's something we can unite behind. Uh, nothing further to add on that, but just appreciate everyone who took action and and those who sent kind words afterward. Uh, it's a hard topic for all of us, certainly, to discuss. Um, in content recommendation mode then, Tim, what have you been watching, uh, digesting, anything you want to recommend to the good people as international break-ins? I'm a talk show host here. I've got to hold my book up properly here. Perfect. Uh, yep. Frame it well. It's The Numbers Game by Chris Anderson and David Sally. The subtitle is Why Everything You Know About Soccer Is Wrong. And it's a book <laughs> It's a book about analytics, but I think the most interesting thing to me is that it's a book about soccer analytics from the year of our Lord, 2013. So seeing how differently things were kind of interpreted back then and kind of the early stages of, of this kind of becoming mainstream a mainstream way that people consume the game is really interesting. And a lot of the stuff still applies, but a lot of it is, is a little bit dated now. Like they list a bunch of the data providers and like all of them, but Opta are out of business now <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's a really interesting look at, at where analytics was and you can kind of contrast it with where it is now too. I've read it and enjoyed it. It, it, you know, talks about why the new, the new manager bump is a thing. It explains mm-hmm. that it talks about why England uh, should actually have lower expectations for its international performances uh, it's it's a if it's the one that I'm thinking it is at least it's a great mm-hmm. great book. Uh, I will give another recommendation from about that time period actually. Uh, it's called When Friday Comes: Football in the War Zone. This is 2011. 
that James Montague wrote this book. It's about war and revolution in the Middle East and how soccer mm-hmm. shaped it or been influenced by it. And again, 10 years old, but some of these, you know, timeless stories of, yeah. of, of how soccer and culture are intertwined. It's a perfect fit for anyone who likes this podcast because it goes well beyond just the game of soccer. Um, mm-hmm. He chews cot in Yemen uh, with, with some folks there and their barely existent national team. Uh, he is in Egypt during the, the revolution there and Arab Spring. And it's it's very well tied into a lot of geopolitical stuff. Mm-hmm. And soccer is very much at the center of, of a lot of that. So great book there. Uh, all right. That's our content recommendations. That's our show. Thanks to everyone for listening. ML Rose is our sponsor. Moon Taxi, our soundtrack. Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. A few of you have done so recently. Most of them have been good. So thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, tell a friend. Tell a friend as well. Absolutely. And give us and each tell follow them. Tell your friend to rate it because they're more likely to listen to you than us. That's very true. <laughs> That's a great point. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for keeping us on the air. We will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>